Welcome to Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, All He Surveys, Volume 1, Chapter 5. The little gun made little noise, but the explosive quality it had on Mr. Fausel's skull caused a distinctive thud and liquid sound as his head painted the room. I was splashed with it, and at the same instant felt a bite of pain near my throat. Instinctively, I flinched and nearly dropped the big soup bowl. For a moment, there was little more than a gasp from the one near-identical servant in the room. I didn't move or say a word. I think even Duca was stunned by the quiet yet complete violence of it all. The woman seated at the other end of the table had a spray of red across her face, and I remember that a single eyeball sat on the table in front of her, looking at nothing and no one. Mr. Fausel's body, with its ragged stump for a head, just sat there, as if still patiently awaiting his supper as if, indeed, he could wait forever. Duca had been showered with his master's gore, and he muttered something in that same unknown language as he started to move at last. Then the servant girl screamed. The linesman turned right around to the seated woman, who brought up her stunned, bloodied face to the man. His no longer crisp white uniform with the sash now bore an abstract pattern of death, and his own apparent shock and terror was an echo of hers, of mine, of the screaming young woman to the side. There was nothing to use except the tureen. Duca raised his hand to fire again at Mrs. Fausel. I just tipped the bowl of steaming soup at the outstretched arm and let go. Remarkably, impossibly, it knocked the tiny shooter from his hand, and the stuff splashed all over him and the long table and floor. The metal bowl skittered across the tabletop, knocking over flowers and condiment jars. Duca's weapon disappeared in that mess somewhere, Chef Tonva's fragrant concoction covering the linesman's arm and pants and all that blood. It was hot, and he should have been hopping about in pain. Murder has a distracting quality, and he didn't seem to notice any pain after that first touch. Instead, he dropped to the deck in search of the gun. He never found it, because the bearded men from out in the hall were in here now, and they used their own weapons upon the two strangers in the room. All the gore and shock and alienness of these sumptuous accommodations— the seemingly replicated girls, the motionless spattered woman, the murderous linesman scrambling under the table, the fat gunner searching for something he'd never find in a kitchen. All of it became nothing but darkness and nothing but pain.
I was in sickbay when I woke up. I recognized it immediately because, from my point of view, I'd just been there. But I couldn't recall the reason why for a moment. Maybe a lot of time had passed. There was a cottony, disconnected quality to what I saw and thought about. That might have been from the stun blasts, or it might have been from something given to me while I was out. This was far from the first time I'd woken up in a place of healing, and I'd always walked away before. No need to panic. <laughs> yes, stunners. Was that why I was here? The kitchen. The delivery. An old man who smiled and died. God! I coughed out, then began hacking. I sat upright, suddenly fully awake, with everything entirely too clear. Kevin, the nurse, was across the room, speaking with Dr. Sagasaw and a couple of others, and he came to my side immediately. He had a plastic container in his hand, like a small bucket, and I was glad because I suddenly needed it. I'd been hit with stun weapons before, but the hangover effect this time, coupled with my last waking memories, brought up yellow bile with a ratcheting burn. I couldn't turn my head quickly and failed to grab the bucket in time. Some vomit landed on the nurse's sleeve. Oh, I'm sorry. It came out in a raspy bark. No need, the young man assured, and he held my head as I retched again. It was horrible. Each time I thought of the attack, the blood, the one eye, the spattered woman paralyzed by shock and horror, my stomach twisted. I realized that there was a bandage around my neck, and that's why I couldn't move my head. Why do I have this on? I asked, touching the wrapped fabric impregnated with a polymer-absorbent material to handle wound draining. But it, too, came out with a choke. What was wrong? What wasn't wrong? You had a laceration, Ejok. It was deep but not too terribly serious. Doctor said it will heal up just fine. Duca, he shot. <coughs> My voice sounded and felt gritty. It hurt to speak. It hurt more not to. Try to be quiet. Your vocal cords have some inflammation from the wound. Nothing serious, but you need to heal. We brought the meal... <coughs> But then I started coughing in earnest, and that hurt a lot. It was like the grit became ground glass in a blink, and I laid back, grimacing and holding the bandage as if that would make any of it better. I looked to the others the nurse had been standing with, and they did the same back. Dr. Sagasoff put a finger to her lips, miming for me to save my voice. That felt like it was a good idea, so... When the coughing subsided and Kevin offered me a sip of ice water, I took it gratefully. It both stabbed and soothed, and I was finally able to relax a bit, breathing somewhat better. Laying there, letting the shock ease off as the details replayed themselves, all the usual questions came to mind, none of which had answers. I didn't know these people, these fousels. It was possible 
likely even, that I would never understand any of this. Duca was one of the family's entourage. He would have been cleared by security long before. Was there some ugly history there? Fausel Security had given me a rather professional shakedown, but they had focused on the obvious to the exclusion of the real. How did the linesmen get a weapon aboard ship to begin with? That should have been impossible. Each passenger and crew member walked through a series of scanners at every port to which a ship like Dorcas of the Heather traveled, Dinar included. Such sensor systems were hidden throughout the station hub, and everyone underwent physical bag searches by automated tools with specialized articulated arms. Machines of that sort were hard to beat. Space stations often had a lot of prohibited items. The list varied quite a bit from place to place, but small pistols loaded with bursting pellets were on all of them. I'd been an unknown element to the Fausel guards, and had just come from the galley, a place filled with many sharp, pointy things. Maybe that was the reason I'd gotten so much of their attending care. And the reason Duca had asked for my help, knowing I'd be a distraction. Why did he do it? I whispered to Kevin. But that hurt even more than talking openly, and I reached for the ice water again. No one knows, came the soft reply, offering sincere, if impotent, comfort around the edges of a nightmare. After about a shift and a half, my throat was feeling better. Medications to ease discomfort and inflammation had been working, as had others to prevent infection and rapidly induce regeneration of soft tissues and cartilage. Modern procedures and treatments allowed for a quick bounce back from many kinds of misadventures, provided they didn't kill you outright. The doctor took the bandage off at this point and applied a liquid sealer to the wound, since it didn't need any more draining. She was no longer concerned about secondary infections either, which could be very serious in an injury like mine. And what kind of injury was that again? Why, being punctured by a skull fragment. Pieces of Mr. Fausel had flown around the room like shrapnel. It was amazing no one else had been struck. I asked for a sedative then, so I could sleep. And Dr. Sagasaw didn't object. Another shift passed in sickbay. The lights were dimmed, and I was alone except for a member of ship security. This was a youngish woman in the quagmire moss uniform they all wore. Normally, Dorcas security members did not walk around visibly armed, though they probably always had a surprise or two handy. Right now, this one wore a long stun stick strapped to her thigh, hanging from a belt with numerous little pouches and gadgets. She had black hair, cut short, but with long bangs in front. She might have been in her early thirties, but it was getting harder and harder for me to tell as my own years stacked up. She looked severe with all that stuff, but showed a smile when she saw me with open eyes. 
Feeling better, Ejok? I guess. Is Kevin around? Or the doctor? Kevin is off shift. He was here with you for at least a solid day. The doctor is in a meeting. I was asked to stay with you. Okay. Uh, hi. You were on duty at the entrance to Diamond class, right? I don't think we've met. Not formally. I'm ship guard, or SG, Tinixiala. Security goes over personnel records, so I've read your file and, I don't know, probably ate your food. If you'd eaten my food, you'd have smothered me in my sleep. I only half-joked, but she smirked, which was more than I expected. Do you actually need the doctor? She asked. I can call for her. I need the fresher, I replied, getting up. The throat discomfort was barely noticeable now, with pain management working and the bandages gone. I made a point not to look at my neck in the bathroom mirror, though. I tottered out and only realized then that all I had on was a patient gown. That was embarrassing, so I dropped the privacy screen, talking to S.G. Ciala the whole time. A set of kitchen whites were folded in a neat pile on a chair, having been fetched at some point from my cabin locker. The stained ones would no doubt be in a sealed container to be studied as evidence by someone on the other side of the run. Are you here to clap me in irons? That's not really a thing, Ejok. And not much of a joke, apparently. Am I being detained, is what I mean. With what happened, do you really think it's odd to have security around right now? Not at all, I assured. But I'd like to know what's coming. I wasn't in on that murder. Did I say you were? Am I being recorded right now? Actually, yes. The captain decided that collecting all possible evidence supersedes your right to privacy in this situation. For what it's worth, the doctor disagreed and lodged a formal protest in her report. And before you ask, I don't have any opinion at all. Only orders. Now in white again, I lifted the screen and sat on the bed. Oh, I won't ask, S.G. I'm pretty clear where we stand. She looked away then and spoke so quietly I couldn't hear the words. Are you taking me somewhere, like to an interview room? Nope. All I did was send a message to the CSO that you're awake. That's Gray Mino, Dorcas's chief security officer. I think he's monitoring the sensor feed anyway, but... But orders, I finished for her. That's right. Until I hear from the chief, we're staying here. You don't have a problem with that, do you? I shook my head, sighed, and lay back again. I couldn't imagine what they were saying back in the kitchen. Shocked observations, of course. Duca was so quiet. Did anyone even know him? Why? Why? Yeah. Why? How is Chef Tonva taking it? You don't suspect him of collusion, do you? I still can't imagine Duca doing this, even now, but I really can't see that guy being involved. I'm not part of the investigation, Ejok. I'm babysitting. She gave me a frank, non-emotive face, and I understood then that they didn't want me walking around the ship telling tales or asking questions that got other people telling tales. 
Instead, I took another approach. How long until we arrive in Karaya system? About 90 hours now. The captain wants this thing bottled up tightly until then. The cruise line has protocols in place in case of murder aboard ship. Such things do sadly happen sometimes. But we're in noble space now. The Fausals are imperial citizens aboard an alliance vessel. Two people dead in that cabin. It's going to be a mess to sort out, no matter what. So, that bodyguard didn't make it either? No, actually, he's fine. Just a big bruise on his chest. Turns out, their tacky uniforms are actually some kind of soft armor. Lorcan fabric, maybe? Tough stuff, whatever it is. That was a piece of good news, at least. And a puzzle. Then who? Duca, she replied evenly. Those stunners the Fausal guards carry are military grade. They can be lethal to unarmored targets at close range. I survived okay. Yeah, how about that? Do they know anything? I asked, ignoring her tone. Like I said, I'm not involved, and if I was, I wouldn't say anything. Come on, you know how this works. I've seen your file. There's enough in there to make me think you could run the investigation yourself. Not my spesh, I muttered, studying the overhead. It was clean, free of cobwebs, and unremarkable in every way. I liked it. She tapped her ear. Chief just said I can answer your question, she stated. Yes, you'll be sequestered until we get to Kuraya. I didn't do anything but survive. It's got to go by the numbers. That guard who took the hit is locked in a private cabin too right now, with one of ours and one of his standing outside the door. You'll be getting the same treatment when we find you a permanent room. Real or imagined, witness tampering could be seen as an issue. We can't screw this up. Private room. Well, how's that for a silver lining? I waited in vain for that meaningless smirk, then just shrugged. The next hour was filled mostly with silence. S.G. Ciala spent much of it on her palm top. She didn't want to get too chummy, which was only prudent. My retinals were working fine, except that I was getting an error pop-up in my eye view, indicating they'd put a network restriction in place. I had switched to more advanced oculars than I used to wear. These were all-in-one devices that did the same job as my old retinal rig, which, in addition to display lenses installed under my corneas, had included jaw-and-planted sound-conducting speaker mics and a powerful wrist comp. A look through the security logs, seemingly floating in front of my eyes from the display lenses, showed that security had copied everything while I was out. I kept most of my stuff encrypted, but they could still see a lot of the metadata, such as permissions and access times, and thereby eliminate anything that didn't obviously correlate to the attack. I hadn't been recording, but they couldn't just take my word for it. They would need me to actually decrypt whatever they might want to see, and I wasn't sure just yet how I felt about that. Way over in the Empire, as we were, and especially while in mid-jump, I was without much in the way of leverage. Back home in Ainspace, within a well-settled star system, I could have appealed to my union, 
and had a solicitor's advice about how to proceed. Cooperation was the most expedient route in any legal situation, I knew, but it wasn't always the best one. The SG noticed my futile hand gestures and likely heard me cursing under my breath as I tried to get onto the network. What would be the point of sequestration if you could just call people, Ejok? I threw her a dark look she ignored, and we went back to our own interests. If I wanted to be a reactionary jerk, I could have spent time with some of the automated intrusion software I had installed on my retinals and maybe found a way to unlock network access. Such a thing was a crapshoot at best, since it wasn't anything in which I was formally trained. Even so, I went through my pen testing suite and selected a couple of tools before talking myself out of making waves for the mere sake of doing it. I hated being treated like a potential criminal, but realistically, what else could I be to them right now? Odds were they'd already gotten preliminary statements from the others present at the time, so they knew something of my role in the events but they couldn't know if that role was real or a sham and part of the attack. They didn't know anything and didn't really want to know much. They just wanted me available for the local investigators at Kezika Station, our scheduled port of call and Karaya system, hopefully untainted by extraneous points of view. When I'd first come aboard, I had copied the ship's reference library, the crew's itinerary, and crew orientation packages, which included information about ship personnel. That was a job-related practice, the habit of which I'd gotten into over the years, just in case I needed to know something about the vessel without having to be logged in. I looked up the crew manifest and learned that my pleasant, largely indifferent keeper had a public-facing profile. This was probably for the sake of the passengers, Knowledge brought with it a sense of control, and these were people who liked to feel they owned a piece of anything they had to pay for. Tinixiala's profile was linked to, of all things, a published memoir she'd apparently written a few years before, describing a full life entirely at odds with her youthful appearance. The book was in the ship library. I opened it, and her words skimmed across my field of view. She'd been a physical therapist for decades, had been married three times, had two children and three grandchildren. At the age of 71, she and the last hubby divorced. Deciding a new life was in order, she underwent age reassignment procedures and regained her youth. After this, she chose to reinvent herself further yet. The woman who would one day be shipguard Siala serving aboard the diamond-class cruiser Dorcas of the Heather, traveling as it was across the supernations of space, had, by age 71, never once been out of Greenbelt star system. Along with a new body, new hairstyle, and new attitude, came new choices that encompassed the galaxy. No half-measures, apparently. I skipped ahead and read the final chapter in its entirety, as it ended with her training to be a shipboard security specialist, sounding hopeful and inspired. It was well-written, informal, bantery, like a letter from an old acquaintance. Shipboard security wasn't a second chance to achieve her life goals. 
things she'd always dreamed of doing when she was an old farmer's wife. She said as much in the closing lines of the book. It was a place to begin the journey of life all over again. It brought to mind my own situation, of course. I wasn't quite hugging Fifty yet, though it was looking mighty neighborly. Inevitably, that made me think about ARP as an option for the future. I'd actually never had an in-depth conversation with anyone who'd gone through it, and was rather curious. Circumstances being what they were just then, it seemed best not to push for such friendly chit-chat. Murder investigation aside, it somehow seemed intrusive. She hadn't offered the information to my face, and it didn't look like the book had sold worth a darn anyway. Uh, personal memoirs of regen people had become something of a genre over the years. It was hard to stand out. So I chose discretion, something of which I always needed practice. We actually waited there long enough that the bong announcing mid-shift meal, or lunch, sounded throughout the ship. It reminded me how hungry I was, and I suggested she call down to the galley to get something sent up by drone cart. She considered it and agreed. Some minutes later, two servings of a perfectly serviceable, <laughs> who am I kidding, a marvelous lasagna and salad combo, along with a carafe of quality coffee, arrived. The baked pasta seemed like a Mori creation. I'd never had his particular version of the dish, but he had a way of plating pasta that was distinctive, using cherry tomatoes, green mangato slices, and parsley sprigs for garnish. It was always pretty, but always a variant on a theme. The guard and I ate in silence, I on the bed, she standing in a counter in a little alcove to the side. It was like a standing desk, positioned such that we didn't face each other, though I was in the corner of her eye. If I'd stripped naked and run around the room, it might have been more awkward. Otherwise, it was the least comfortable meal imaginable. S.G. Ciala had just called for a pickup of the empty trays when she received a notice from her boss. He's been quiet. Yes, sir, we just did. I called for the cart. No, no one. Okay. Yes, we'll leave right now. She looked up and saw that I'd been following her side of the conversation. They did some accommodation magic. You're getting the honeymoon, sweetie, Jock. Congratulations. Thanks. It was a whirlwind romance. No debrief? I'm sure it's coming, but right now, while most passengers are still at lunch, I'm to take you directly there. And yes, it'll be like I said before. You'll be left alone. It'll be locked from the outside and a Fausel guard will be joining us there. I gestured for her to lead on, but she chose to walk behind. For someone who came to this line of work so relatively recently, the newly young guard had the basics down pat. I wasn't entirely sure where the honeymoon suite was, but it turned out to be on another deck from Diamond Class, which wasn't a bad thing. I requested a few changes of clothes from my cabin locker. I'd shared that room with two other crew members, so the prospect of this confinement was not exactly unwelcome. The guard said she'd see to it as we came up to the room. A tall man, 
dark-bearded and glowering, wearing the bright, soft armor of the Fausel family, stood waiting. Sgciala introed herself and me, though he already had both pieces of information. He supplied his own name, speaking quickly, and I didn't catch it. He looked much like the others I'd seen, and indeed this may well have been the second time we'd been in each other's company. The uniformity of the men, from their clothes to their beards to their scowls, made it hard to know. There was a single door covered in complex scrollwork depicting doves, hearts, and flowers in white and silver. It was quite hideous. The SG cautioned that they were trusting me to behave. If I needed anything, the ship net would allow me to call security and sick bay, but nowhere else. The two of them outside would be informed of the call and enter if needed. If there was a fire or something, I could pound on the door. Otherwise, quiet and cooperation would be appreciated by all concerned. She said it so congenially, it was hard, though hardly impossible, to take it all personally. Try to relax, she encouraged, sliding the door open with a wave from a black ring key on her left hand. I think the doctor is going to swing by this shift. Chief Mino will as well, and maybe the captain, so don't get naked right away, okay? The uniformed man towering behind her seemed to frown even more than before, though maybe that was just his eyes. It's a sacrifice, but okay. Tinixiala parted with a real smile at last, and gestured for me to enter, though she observed as I did so, you're taking all this pretty well, Jock. I'm impressed. I didn't have a snarky return for that. Such a thing would have required context and conversation, but she deliberately made the compliment when there was no opportunity for either. I just nodded and wished them both good shift. You have been listening to All He Surveys, Volume 1, a Star Drifter novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. This story is copyright 2022 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The All He Surveys theme is a piece called Blossom by Edward Malov and is licensed through tribeofnoise.com. This story is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead nor any particular place or situation. Any similarities to such are purely coincidental. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site, davidcollinsrivera.com, where you'll find everything Star Drifter, including more audio, novels, and stories, the Star Drifter tabletop role-playing game, podcasts, newsletters, and more. Stop by, won't you, and drop me a line. Thank you for listening. Take care.